few predictions you can make for 2013. One of them is that Christ will be Lord. And that's uh, some things we hold to be true no matter the year. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I have that unique opportunity to be able to speak to you on Sunday as we close a year and we look to begin a year. And so I want to bring a a message to you that kind of spoke to my own heart um, as to what to do this year and how to look upon this past year. I found Philippians 2, verse 12 through 18 to be instructive. This is something I plan to speak with the students on Wednesday uh, night and uh, found that it's effective for the whole body as well. So this past week, my wife was able to persuade me, along with her brother, to watch Les Mis in the theater, uh, in the movies. Now, it is a movie I would not recommend because of a couple of scenes. I I cannot give uh, an unqualified recommendation for that. But I would recommend the story. whether it's a play that you see elsewhere or a book that you, uh, by Victor Hugo that you read. Um, it is a story that is very powerful in that it is a, an expression, a parable of the gospel. Um, I don't know if you know that, but it, it, it very much is. Um, one of the, the main characters, uh, Vagine, uh, Vajan, I'm not French, so I have our time saying these names, uh, is impacted by grace. He's li- living a life of pragmatism, uh, where he has stolen some things from a monk, uh, but the monk does not bring the law to him, instead brings grace to them and, and gives them such a, a freedom from grace, uh, through grace that it transforms this man that has been in prison and, and, and comes to the point that he's asking, who is he? His identity has been fundamentally changed because grace has been extended to him and it transforms the rest of his life and the rest of the play uh, is very much dictated by the the graceful actions of this character who's been transformed by grace. But then there is an an opposing figure who represents the law in Javert uh, who is uh, the enforcer. He represents legalism. He represents the law and he has identified his life by a certain code of doing good and being good and that crime must pay and and good is rewarded and and so he has lived his life his sense of identity of doing good avoiding bad and all of his identity is based on this so that when grace is given to him he does not know what to do with it he is totally undone and destroyed instead of finding life transformation he sorry ends his life for those who may want to watch this you just need to know that's going to happen all right most of us sorry spoiler um but most of us have read this book all right you were required to read it some of us required to read in school uh and and so it is the undoing of his life a little bit of grace given to him the gospel is a picture of grace coming in and it has an effect either of transforming our life or being the destruction of it, the, the undoing of it. And it depends totally if you want to live your life based on pride and doing good and, and being religious or realizing the need that you have for grace. In Philippians chapter 2, 
it has this great picture of what God is doing and the consequent actions. I want to I argue for you. I, I want to try to persuade you by the grace of God, by His Spirit, that you will walk out of here with more faith, more trust, and a steadfast holding on to God's Word. So I want to just commend two promises to you, and I want to encourage two actions that result from these promises. Two promises for 2013, as well as two actions. If you ever have a resolution, that these would be your resolutions that flow from these promises. Philippians chapter 2, and, and so you, as we read this, understand this is what we call a prison letter from Paul. Uh, Paul is writing this letter actually in response uh, to gifts that this church in Philippi has given him. They have been supporting him while he's in prison, allowing him to live, uh, providing for him. And so he's sending a thank you note uh, in, in the book of, of Philippi. But he's also addressing some things that are going on in that church. There evidently is some sense of uh, uh, problems of unity. And so he gives them the gospel. He gives them joy. And he says, be united by the gospel. You're not united just because you want to be united. You're united by the fact that something drives you, and, and he brings out the gospel as that which drives. Uh, and then he, he commands them uh, to do a few things uh, in Philippians, and we find one of them in, in chapter 2. Uh, and he's talking about his own life, the fact that he is in prison. And this is not a new thing for Philippi. I don't know if you remember the story of Philippi and how it came to be, uh, but Paul was in this area and met Lydia, and uh, God worked through Lydia and some of these. But one of the primary ways God worked was in his uh, witnessing, he got in trouble and would put it in prison. You remember the story? He was put in prison. Uh, he was beat first. And then the earthquake came, uh, and God set them free, and the jailer was concerned for his own life because the prisoners had escaped. Uh, but instead, Paul says, no, we're all right here, and use this opportunity to, to bring the whole gospel to the family of the jailer. And so... Jail is something that the Philippi is used to with Paul. Uh, they're, they're accustomed to this idea. And so just keep that context in mind as he's reading this, uh, 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 writing this, and we'll read it together. Philippians 2, and we're going to start with verse 12, reading through verse 18. In honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be proud or to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You may be seated. What first captured my thoughts about this passage was verse 15, where it says, "Among whom you shine as lights in the world." and I, I'm thinking back to many conversations I've had with some of you 
who were uh, a part of the beginning of this church uh, some 42 years ago. And, and some of the things that you share and yet you pray still is that this would be as a, a light shining from a hill in our community. And that's, that's the phrase I've heard repeated uh, from various folks uh, that were part of the beginnings of this church. And so when I read this, I thought, you know, that, that reminds me of that. And, in, and what got me is that the scripture tells us how to do that. How do we shine as, as from a hill, as a city set upon a hill? How do we do that? Uh, how do we make a difference? How do we uh, become as stars uh, in a dark world, uh, in a crooked and twisted generation that we would shine as lights in the world. And I thought, I want to do that in 2013. Uh, that, that captures part of my heart of what I love for me to be, as well as our church to be, is to be that type of people uh, that makes that difference, that points to the Lord. And so I started paying attention to the other passages around this that tells us a little bit how to do that. And I want you to understand the first promise. As we look in 2013, and as we look back in our life, understand that we are the object of divine concern. We are the objects of divine concern, that God is at work in our life. And so uh, he says, verse 12, he says, obey. As you've always obeyed, keep on obeying. And that's really been the theme in chapter 2. I don't know if you look back, uh, Philippians 2 is that great chapter uh, that's uh, perhaps maybe one of the songs, hymns of faith of the early church, uh, where they talk about how Christ came, even though he uh, considered himself equal with God and was not robbery to be considered with him, but he made himself no reputation and was obedient. Uh, all that really is an illustration. Paul was using that as an illustration to illustrate the idea of verse 3 and 4, that nothing should be done through strife or vain conceit, but in lowliness of mind or humility, consider one another uh, as, as more important as uh, that we put attention on them. And so don't look on our own interests, but everyone on the uh, interests of others around. And then, then he uses Jesus as an example. So the whole point of chapter 2 is really obedience. Keep being obedience in humility. Consider Jesus, what he is and what he's done. And just as he's done that, God has given him glory through his humility and obedience uh, and his submission to the Father. Just as we remember the submission of Jesus to the Father, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my presence, keep on obeying. Keep working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I want you to understand, he's not saying work for your salvation, all right? It's working out. In fact, chapter 3, the very next chapter, he is making strong words of of not having confidence in your flesh and your own works. This is a a revealing what God is doing in our, our life. So work it out. And he does so with, with fear and trembling. And the, the word where he says, work out for what God has worked in you to will and do of his good pleasure, verse 13. And so it's reflecting what God is doing in our life. Uh, I don't know if you know some of the story of, of Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, uh, one, of the, one of the great works of art that we've got today. Well, it's a tapestry, and before it was ever known to be the great work as it is, it was on a monastery wall for years, without monks, without the monks really knowing the value of what they had. And so consequently, dirt, grime, built upon this tapestry, uh, the monks would, would add to it, 
they would draw on it. They even took out a portion of it. Uh, and so uh, when it was taken out of the wall, which was between the kitchen and the dining table at the time, uh, they, they discovered what it was. And two ladies were conscripted by the Roman church to clean it. I thought, this is a Leonardo da Vinci work. This is a masterpiece. We need to, to, to clean this. And, and so what they would do, th- these ladies would clean up a quarter-size piece a day. <laughs> what was the end result of your day's work? Well, that little quarter-size piece is now cleaned. And they would, they would take this, uh, they would magnify the, the cloth, and they would study one filament at a time. And look at every fleck to determine if the paint was of da Vinci or some later paint and grime. In which case, they would clean it up. Can you imagine that being your job? Uh, that, that was these ladies' jobs. And, and, and their job, though, was to work out because of what has been worked in. To understand that there is a masterpiece done by the artist Leonardo da Vinci. We will consequently apply ourselves to what's been done. What we've got here is a masterpiece in each one of your life that is, uh, makes Leonardo's work pale in comparison and that God the Creator is working in your life a masterpiece of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the life of Christ in you. Do you know that it's in you right now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? He is working it in your life. And so we take each day a quarter side to examine what is of Christ and what is of ourself and to remove what of ourself so that Christ may be glorified in our life. It is working out what God is doing in us. So as I look at this, there is a consequent action. He says, do so with fear and trembling. For God is working in you. It is... It is to say, we're not going to mess up Leonardo da Vinci's. Y'all see, I, I forgot who the artist was, that, that someone uh, tried to fix a fresco of this masterpiece, and they showed this picture. It was horrible. I should have put that up on the screen so you could laugh with me. Uh, it, it, but I've, I felt so sorry for this lady who tried to duplicate and totally ruined this artwork. We work out with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. All right? Now, what is the idea with this working out with, with fear and trembling? We have um, my mom. She, uh, I had noticed through the years growing up that whenever we went to the ocean, she never would really go far into the water. Maybe some of you are this way. Um, but she had a rule that if she couldn't touch the bottom, she wasn't going that far. And the problem with the ocean is that, you know, it'll lift you up off the bottom. So she would never, never go very far. And we asked after a while, why do you do this? You know, she can swim. It's no big deal. And she shared that when she was young, that they went to the beach and she got caught in a rip current. If you're familiar with rip currents, they, uh, they work so that the, the tides come together and then they, they pull out to the ocean. And so if you're ever caught in one, uh, if you don't know what you're doing, you, you quickly get carried out to sea very fast. Um, and if you fight against it, then you're going to lose. And she got caught in one of those, and, and she uh, was rescued and brought back to the ocean. And so 
consequently, she sees land, or brought back to land, she sees the land as her salvation. To be out in the water where she cannot touch is to be in danger. And so there is a fear and trembling. And to understand that life apart from God is a sure road to the wrath of God. Life apart from Jesus Christ is a sure quick road to our own destruction. To understand and comprehend that unless God is working in us, then there is no hope in our life. And so there is a fear and trembling, not so much of of, um, of afraid of God is afraid of not being with God. So when mom gets out in the ocean, she starts trembling. She starts getting afraid because she is away from her safety. She is away from her land. To have a working out, what God is doing is to say, I'm afraid of being away from the Father. I want to be with God. I want to see His work in my life. Now, what does that mean? It's interesting. I was trying to figure out the connection here. It says, verse 13, why why do we do this? It says, because God is working in you. He's he's working in in my will. He's changing my heart. He's changing my appetites. What a desire. He's changing that, both my will and to work for his good pleasure. He is involved in circumstances and life. He's involved in people. He's going to use the circumstances and people. He's going to use the word of God. He's going to use his body. So, what does that mean? Verse 14. Therefore, I do all things without grumbling or questioning. So, if my, the promise the word of God brings to you that I wish you would hold on to is that God is, you are the object of, of divine concern. Therefore, here's the action that I would plead for you for 2013. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Here's why. God is at work in the circumstances of life to work in salvation in your life that you may work it out. I may not like how that's happening, but the end result is that God is working His salvation in my life. He is bringing Christ in my life. I may not like how these circumstances are pulling at me and my desires and my comfort, but the end result is that Christ is to be revealed. So when the bad things and the hard things of life happens, I don't complain. I I don't grumble because I know that God is at work. And there's there's a couple truths I've been kind of thinking about uh, for the last couple weeks and just sitting on for a while. Here's, here's the one truth, that for the believer, God is working all things for his glory and good. For the believer. Romans 8, 28, you hear that a lot. He is our redeemer. So as I go through bad things in my life, as I go through hard things, as I go through disappointments, as I go through my own disappointments and other people's disappointments, and I, and I endure these things, and I endure deaths and cancer and things that I see around, and I know that this hurts, I believe because of Romans 8.28 that God is working still in the midst of that that I will praise Him for it because He's a Redeemer after all. Isn't that His title? What does a Redeemer do? Redeemer takes things that normally would be wasted and lost and brings value and good out of it. That's what He does. That's the title He goes by. He's the great Redeemer. 
So I can look at things in life and think, you know, that would have been wasted years, a wasted energy, wasted time. But it's not because I have a Redeemer. But then I started thinking about the opposite corollary. The inverse of that. If God is working all things to good for those who love Him and call it according to His purpose, then there are things that people go through who are not loved, who do not love God, who are not called, and they go through bad things... And there is no redeeming purpose. But even worse still. If for the believer all bad things, all things work together for good. For the unbeliever all things work together for the bad. For the unbeliever all things work together for bad. But you say, well pastor, I know unbelievers and they have good things in their life. God gives them, gives them sun and, and the rain as well. There's the goodness and graciousness of God. They have families, they have laughter, they have good jobs. Uh, they, they enjoy their life. What do you mean? Let me take you to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why do unbelievers have laughing children? Why do they have good jobs? Why do they have blessed health? So that they would repent. That's the goodness of God. Notice verse 5. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You know what that's saying? All the goodness and patience of God that has been extended to them now has been transformed into God's wrath. So for the unbeliever, all good things work together for wrath. The person you love who may not know Jesus Christ, as they said, they have good things in their life, plead and pray that they would see that these things that are working in their life would bring repentance, because if it doesn't, the hardness of a heart will transform good things and make it God's wrath. But for the believer, bad things, hard things, judging things, correcting things, chastising things, here on this earth, God takes and transforms them for glory. So, God is at work in you, both to will and do for His good pleasure. Work that out with fear and trembling, and do so without grumbling. Do so without complaining, because when you grumble, when you complain, you are saying, God, you can't transform it. And if you could transform it for glory, I would rather have this bit of goodness instead of your glory. I made a, a point some time ago with the Facebook world and 
or whatever, however long ago I got onto Facebook, I just kind of made a mental note. I don't ever want to complain on Facebook. I don't ever want to whine. I don't want that magnified hundred times over online. And that's great and good, but it's still just an extension. It needs to be in my own heart. I don't ever want to grumble. I don't ever complain. I don't want to whine in my life. Sometimes we're tested in that, aren't we? And the question really is for me when it happens, this testing is, do I want Christ more than whatever I'm losing at this point? I would just commend to you for 2013, regardless of what happens in this life, understand that you are the object of divine concern. Relish and hold on to that promise. Work in it with fear and trembling. Work out what God is doing. And so consequently, don't complain. Don't grumble. When when Paul's bringing this out, he starts quoting a passage from Deuteronomy 32. When he says, verse 14, do all things without grumbling and questioning. And then he he brings out this, this metaphor that we will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. When he uses that crooked and twisted generation, he's referring back to Deuteronomy 32, as specifically, specifically verse 4 and 5. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses is kind of given his farewell time. He's, he's about to say, my life is about over, and I want to give you guys some things to consider. We've, we've walked together for, for 40 years from, from Egypt to this now edge of the promised land. And we've seen God do mighty things and miracles beyond imagination. And let me just give you a few things. And he says to them, God is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish. A perverse and crooked generation. And he's referring to the people of Israel. Who they see God at work. But then because they don't have meat. And they don't have vegetables. They don't have water where they can see it right there. And and, and they start grumbling, complaining because they're having... The journey's hard. And it's not like it was in Egypt. And they complain, not believing that God's going to do a work, that all his ways are righteous, all his ways are just, that he is the rock. And they, they need something else besides God as the rock. They, they need quail. They need vegetables. They need these things with God. And that's where, where Moses says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father. Hold fast to who God is. That he is at work. And so I just want to share with you, 2013, you're going to have some good things and you're going to have some bad things. But in everything, God will work. So don't grumble. So we look back to 2012. We saw dear loved ones die. We see sicknesses around. We see folks of disappointments and, and failures in various ways. But God is still working. He's still using these things to provide 
yourself an understanding of who God is and that he's going to bring these things for his glory, hold on to that. You still have a loving father. And then we keep on reading. He says, when you do all these things without grumbling or question, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There's something about a believer who goes through hard things without complaining that makes you shine out. I've thought about it. I thought, you know, bad things happen in our church. and It's amazing how the community hears about it knows about it and folks say, oh, bad stuff going on there, you know, just <laughs> but here's the encouragement of that. If folks will find out about the bad things, then folks will also find out about God's things. Praise God. Praise God. The church is not a church because they're exempt of problems. The church is a church because they're filled with the grace of God that deals with the problems. And we go to him. Let the world hear that. Let Nightdale know that. Let it be starkly different. You know, it's okay in a school you complain and you and you whine and, and folks say, well, I don't want to go to that school. And you, and you go. But in a church where folks continue and you hear the grace of God and they continue on and think, why do they keep going? Because it's grace. There's love. There's forgiveness. There's God's working. And I never would have known that until I've gotten through some of this and seen this. Now, there, there's more to be said here. There's another promise uh, that I wish for you in 2013. He says, shine as lights in the world. How do you shine as lights in the world? How do we be with children without blemish, blameless and innocent? How does this happen? And he gives us another clue. He says, do this while doing this. Shine while doing this. Shine because you are doing this. What is it? You're holding fast to the word of life. Here's the promise. God's word is life. The word of life. What does that mean to hold fast to the to the word of life. Some, some for, translation might say holding forth is putting forth. That. I think it has the idea of I'm just clinging on to this word of life. I think about how the reader would have got this at this time. In Philippi, they would have listened to Paul and heard this letter, and they would have remembered Paul. What, what was Paul's story? You remember, I kind of gave you a glimpse. You know, Paul, Paul gets uh, beat. All right? he, gets, he gets hit. He gets whipped. I mean, he's bleeding. He's hurting. He's bruised. Crying, maybe? And then they take him away, and the prisons that day, it's down in the ground. They're, they're, they're pits. And you're going down the, the stairs. And you can feel the chill. And then the smell of rotten flesh. People there. Unsanitary. Bathroom. You go down and you no longer can see, save for torches but you can hear the rats scurrying around. And you're placed, stocks restraining your feet, restraining your hands. 
You hear the moans of those around you. Perhaps you maybe hear Silas and his own grunts just being put down on the sores. And you know the blood's still oozing as you're sitting and decaying things. Swear words, those around. And you're here because you are obedient. I'm sure Paul might have had a lot of voices trying to tell him what to do at that time. Maybe it's, <laughs> Paul, surely you're justified a little bit in complaining a little bit here. Maybe, maybe there's a little point of, of saying, God, I, I, I'm being obedient. Why, why did you let this happen? I'm sure that there's voices around him. Maybe it's the echoing of, of the voices around him just swearing. Paul sings. Paul and Silas sing. They praise. They thank God. They're counted worthy to, to share in the fellowship of suffering. What does that? What, what clicks in a person's brain to do that? The person who looks at all the voices that is yelling in their, their mind, but then hears the voice of God through the word of God and says, I want that. There's a lot of voices telling me things to do. But the one verse that's going to dictate what I do is what the Word of God says. And it says, do things without complaining, without grumbling, to rejoice in all things. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to hold on to that voice. And there's a lot of voices crying out. But when we hold fast to God's Word, it is not to say that you don't hear competing voices. You don't hear competing agendas for what you should do. But you listen, you listen to God's voice. Friends, it's one thing to ask your friend, your buddies and say, what do you think? What, what should I do? What, what's the good thing to do? But what we need is what does God think? What does the Word of God say? And a church... It's not what you think. It's not what I think. The question that is upon us is what does the word of God say? Let's look to that. Let's hold fast to that. Let's listen to that voice above all voices. The word of life. It's it's the same reason why why mom may be glad to have someone holding on to her when she's in the ocean. She's glad to have a life preserver, but what she really craves is ground. Get me on dry ground. It is the place of life for me. And say the word of life, it is to say that is my refuge. That is where it's going to, my salvation is found at. It makes me wise into salvation. And it's salvation, not just professing my faith at some point in my life, but to profess my faith every day of my life. To save me from the sin that is still calling out my name. The word of life is calling your name even greater still. Hold fast to the word of life. And so, the promise, you are the object of divine concern. And you have been given the word of life. Two precious promises. Two consequent actions. Don't complain. Because God is at work. Hold fast to the word. Because it is the word of life. How do you hold fast to the word of life? I'm going to 
I'm going to say that you're not going to be able to listen and obey the voice of the Lord until you know the voice of the Lord. It's just as simple as reading the Bible. But it's not just reading the Bible for reading's sake. I'm not going to say, all right, everyone needs to go through a, a yearly Bible reading plan. It's great. Inasmuch as you listen to what you read and believe it and do it. And only in as much as you listen to what you read, believe it, and do it. We have to be careful that we think we're better just because we know the Bible. It's not scripture memory that is the soul-saving act. It is a tool to get you to the saving act of God's grace and belief and faith and trust in God's grace. Let me just share with you some scriptures that talk about this. Romans 10, 17. Hold fast to God's word because of the sake of faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Have you ever wanted to have more faith? Have you ever prayed, God, give me more faith. Give me, give me more belief. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. If you want more faith, it's going to be as a result of hearing God's word. Hold fast to God's word for the sake of faith. Hold fast to God's word for the sake of your own joy. First, uh, John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. To understand, to submit to God's word brings joy. Hold fast. Don't hold fast to the TV remote. All right? I, I say that, and I have a TV remote. I can't watch TV. All right? But there's a, a point where we go to work, watch TV as a refuge. That's an escape. And so consequently, you have to watch another show, and another show, and another show, because it didn't quite work the first time. Hold fast to the Word of God that your joy may be full. Hold fast to the Word of God for the sake of your own freedom. John 15, 11, these things... Uh, or John 8, 31, 32, if you abide in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, abide in his word. John 17, verse 17, hold fast to the word of God for the sake of your own holiness. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As I let the word of God work in my life, as I believe it, it is as, as the the. The ladies lifting up my life and, and picking away the flecks of my own grime so that Christ can be revealed. The Word of God does that. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can discern between the thoughts and questions of my heart. I have great capacity to deceive myself, and so do you. And the only hope I have is the Word of God coming to my life, either through my own reading of the Spirit of God, applying it, or through others, applying it to my life. Hold fast to the Word of God for the sake of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3, 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith? My only hope to be Christ-like is the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of Christ uses the Word of God as His tools. What is the sword of the Spirit? 
according to Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit is God's word. And so as I hold fast to the word of God, it allows the Spirit of God to work in my life. Hold fast for the sake of my life. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hold fast to the word of God for the sake of strength and stability and fruitfulness. Psalm 1, verse 2 and 3, your delight will be in the law of the Lord. And on his law you will meditate day and night. You will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its life does not wither. And all that you do, you will prosper. Hold fast to the word of God that you may shine. Philippians chapter 2. What we've just read. Hold fast to the word of God that you may be different and a crooked and twisted generation. Here's another prophecy for 2013. The world will be crooked. Stepping out, aren't I? It will be crooked. And here's another prophecy. It will be more crooked than 2012. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You know, in the last days, things will grow worse. They will love themselves more hearts of many will grow cold and the love will grow cold it's going to be worse so in 2013 i have more reason to hold fast to the word of god than i did in 2012 and 2012 was significant but i have two great confidences in our church in my life and in you god's going to work in you he has worked in you he will work in you and he will work in everything in everything. So please, for the love of God, for the belief in His work, don't complain. Don't grumble. And then I'm going to give to you, and God has given to you the word of life. May He use me as His vessel to give to you the scriptures and the word of God. Seek it yourself. And hold fast. There's much joy for those who hold fast. Let it be the dominating voice in your actions and attitudes. For those of you who do not know Jesus as your saving Lord, bad news and good news. Bad news, God's given you grace. That's good. He's given you the good things of life. But the bad news is that if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all the good of your life is going to be transforming to one terrifying eternity of God's wrath. The good news is the grace extends to you that if you would submit to him, yield to him as Lord, as Savior, to see him as the sweet Savior he can be in your life, that he will save you your sins, he will also redeem your life from the pit. It's there for And your life from that point will go from grace to grace to grace. Not happy things to happy things to happy things, but grace to grace to grace until it culminates in the glory of Christ, which is our hope in this life. Let's pray.